What is up team? Welcome back to the show. Today we are digging into muscle fiber types and how they impact training and nutrition. So muscles basically have different types of fibers and each type has a different way of using energy and producing force. Now because of the different energy systems, they have different contractile speeds and different fatigue rates. Now, while this all may seem kind of like high level information that doesn't directly impact your training or nutrition, really having an understanding of the muscle fiber types and how they work will help you understand why we recommend training the way that we do to our clients and really how you can eat to fuel your training performance and hypertrophy, AKA muscle growth. So after this podcast, you'll understand a, the different types of muscle fibers, B, how each type works, and C, their implications for training and nutrition. So let's start this episode off with a quick conversation around the types of muscle fibers. So you've probably already heard of fast twitch and slow twitch muscle fibers. And think of that picture we see of like sprinters versus marathon runners, respectively, where the fast twitch sprinters just have these jacked quads. And then the marathon runners are just like these very, very scrawny individuals. Um, But really, there's a lot more to muscle fiber types than just those two black and white categories. And really, there's actually four types of muscle fibers. We have type one, type 2a, type 2x, and type 2b. Now, before diving into the differences, I do need to define some terms that I'll use to describe and categorize these four types. We have aerobic, which means producing energy with the use of oxygen, anaerobic, which means producing energy without the use of oxygen, motor neurons, these supply muscle fibers with nerves and trigger a contraction within the muscle, Mitochondrial density, so mitochondria in the muscle, when increased in size and number, can more efficiently convert energy to ATP, meaning more energy is available to working muscles. Greater mitochondrial density equals training harder and longer, basically. Um, Capillary density, so capillaries are small blood vessels that transport blood in and out of the muscles. When more oxygen is needed in the muscles, more blood flows there. When there's more capillary density, more oxygen can get to the working muscle. We have oxidative capacity, which is how efficiently the muscle can use fat for energy. Glycolytic capacity, which is how effectively the muscle can use carbs, AKA glycogen for energy and ATP, which stands for adenosine triphosphate, which provides energy to working muscle cells. Muscles store a small amount of ATP, basically enough for a few seconds of work. Okay, (laughs) through that, now that we know these terms, the biggest thing is I can explain the different types of muscle fibers and really you'll be able to much better understand how they work. So first, we have type one muscle fibers. Type one muscle fibers are also called slow twitch. These are the muscle fibers that respond to aerobic activities like long long distance running, for example, walking or riding a bike. Um, Their reaction time is slow and resistance to fatigue is high. So although these muscle fibers can contract for hours, the power they can produce is low and they have the smallest number of motor neurons. So basically, to dive into some other characteristics of type one fibers quickly, mitochondrial density is high, capillary density is high, oxidative capacity is high, glycolytic capacity is low, 
and their storage fuel is, their preferred fuel is triglycerides. So these characteristics mean you can perform long duration exercise without relying on shorter term fuel like glycogen. However, you can't produce much power, so it will be low intensity. And this is often like the example we hear of like marathon runners, for example, that are fueled by fat. Now, these fibers have less potential for growth than type 2 faster twitch fibers, which is part of the reason why you don't see long distance runners with crazy jacked quads, even though they're working them hard. Or another example you'll hear is like, uh, you walk on your cows all day. And there's so many flaws to like this thinking, but like, why aren't your, why aren't your, uh, your calves more jacked? And actually, if we're going to, I'm not really want to talk about cow, jacked calves, but then there's many flaws we could dive into and like why they're just, but regardless, one of the reasons is walking is an activity that's going to recruit primarily slow twitch fibers. Next, we have type two fibers. So type two muscle fibers are called fast twitch. Now there are three subtypes of type two fibers, A, X, and B. Type two A fibers have more endurance than type two X fibers, but less than type one fibers. So they're fairly resistant to fatigue and are used for anaerobic activities. The last between five and 30 minutes. So other characteristics of type two A fibers are high, high mitochondrial density, um, intermediate capillary density, high oxidative capacity, high glycolytic capacity, and their storage fuel is going to be creatine phosphate or glycogen. Now, these are the fibers that would be used for activities like a timed mile run, a 5K race, or a 10 minute row for distance. On a side note, everyone listening to this, if you haven't ran a mile in the last year, I challenge you to test your mile time this week and see what it is. Something that Chaz and I have been doing the last couple weeks is actually these timed mile runs. And it's been surprising how slow our asses are. So if you're listening to this and you're down, go test yourself. Shoot me your time on Instagram. Um, so we'll have something to aim for if you beat me. But anyways, back to the show. Type 2X fibers are fast contracting fibers that fuel anaerobic activities less than five minutes. So they're also less resistant to fatigue, but produce more power. And really this is like very commonly, and of course it makes sense if you just think about how your body works or how your body responds to different activities. The more power we can output, the shorter the duration is. The longer we can sustain a certain level of power output, or the longer the duration of an activity we can sustain, typically the lower the power output is. Um, other characteristics of type 2X fibers include medium mitochondrial density, um, low capillary density, intermediate oxidative capacity, high glycolytic capacity, and again, their storage fuel is creatine phosphate or glycogen. Now, these fibers are used for activities like a quarter mile sprint, a high rep set of squats, or a two minute assault bike ride. So here we're very much getting into that threshold of like, painful aerobic work where it's very much like as opex has the when we're talking about energy systems specifically they have a gain which is kind of 10 15 seconds or less of a nearly all-out effort pain which is basically everything we talked about here like a higher rep set of squats a quarter mile sprint near all-out effort 
but for a longer longer duration, which is typically like the most painful thing in the world. And then we have sustain, which is like long periods of sustained activity. And again, if we're looking at energy systems, that's basically we're talking about anaerobic alactic, anaerobic lactic, and aerobic systems working, but not super relevant to this discussion. So type 2B fibers are the least resistant to fatigue and contract the fastest and have the largest motor neurons. They're used for anaerobic activities that last less than a minute. Other characteristics of type 2B fibers include low mitochondrial density, low capillary density, low oxidative capacity, high glycolytic capacity, and their storage fuels are once again creatine phosphate and glycogen. So these fibers are used for activities like a 100 meter sprint, a three rep max lift, or a box jump. So um, from here, again, some th one thing you'll notice is for all our fast switch fibers, type 2A, B, and X, the fuel their storage fuel is creatine phosphate or glycogen. So basically creatine and carbs. Whereas your slow twitch fibers, their preferred fuel is triglycerides. So again, like if your goal, and as we talked about, type two fibers have the greatest propensity to grow. So if your goal is to build a leaner, more muscular physique that looks more athletic, basically if you wanna look like you train as hard as you do, carbs are probably important because they fuel so many of the activities or they fuel the, um, they literally fuel the muscle fibers that you're trying to focus more on growing if your goal is aesthetics. And really that's a good transition into a conversation around this implications in training when it comes to fiber types. So first we need to talk about training to shift muscle fiber type. So it used to be thought in the fitness industry that you could change the type, the types of muscle fibers you had by training in different ways. So for example, if you train for endurance, you shift to more slow twitch. And if you sprinted or trained with Olympic lifting, you shift more to fast twitch. Now the truth is you don't shift your muscle type, fiber types with training. In fact, a study by Fry et al. in 2003 found that powerlifters and the general population had very similar proportions of muscle fiber types. When you train for hypertrophy and your muscles grow, what happens is your type 2 muscle fibers grow in size, not in proportion. Type 2 fibers grow about 25 to 75% more than type 1 fibers in response to training. They hypertrophy, but they don't multiply. So this means that you probably shouldn't worry about training to shift your muscle fiber types. Just train for the adaptation you want. If you want bigger muscles for hypertrophy, um, or train for hypertrophy, excuse me, if you want to improve endurance, train for endurance, which of course makes sense. Again, like specific adaptations to imposed demands. That's the said principle. Specificity within training is one of the most important things. And again, a huge piece of what we use when we're programming for clients. And this one was such a common thing for people to overlook, even like when it comes to movement selection. Like, okay, your goal is to really grow your quads. Why are you doing a Zercher squat, for example? Um, but again, that's a conversation for another podcast. So to use this info for hypertrophy. So according to Hinneman's size principle, your nervous system starts by activating type one muscle fibers and activates more and more of them until it needs to activate type two fibers 
then it activates more and more until you can't produce any more force. At this point, you have hit failure on a set, sprint, whatever the activity is that you're doing. So since your type two fibers are the ones with the most potential for growth, if you want bigger muscles, you need to activate them. Taking Hinneman's size principle into account, that means you need to take your sets fairly close to failure, regardless of the number of reps you're doing. This is why most of the hypertrophy training we design for our clients is gonna take most sets to about one to three reps left in the tank. Now this is also where you want to consider what your rate limiter is for a given exercise. Um, basically you want the thing that makes you stop the exercise to be the target muscle, not your lungs, grip, core, or any other muscle group outside of the target muscle. So a couple things to consider here. One, starting with a weight that allows for six to 15 reps means you'll probably effectively activate your type two muscle fiber type or muscle fibers because you'll be taking the muscle close to failure before your lungs give out. Something else that's important here to consider. Um, we know that basically five reps shy of failure to failure is thought to be this effective reps zone per Hinneman size principle, where basically, okay, this is where we're really activating and simulating fatiguing these type two muscle fibers enough to simulate new muscle growth. So if we're doing a set under five reps, regardless, we're probably leaving quote unquote effective reps on the table. So if your goal is hypertrophy, which 99% of our clients and listeners, their goal is aesthetics, um, or basically being more functional and aesthetic. For most people, it makes sense to spend most of their time training with five plus reps. From there, using an exercise that doesn't cause your grip to give out ensures that you're taking the target muscle close to failure. Um, things like wrist straps or reversal grips are very helpful here. Selecting exercises like a hack squat over a front squat. Again, we'll take the core and the upper back somewhat out of the equation. And again, they're still going to be involved. But again, the thing is like if we're, and this is so common with squat variations, especially like a front squat is a great movement depending on what your goal is. But again, like so many individuals on the front squat, like the thing that causes them to in the set isn't quad fatigue right? It's almost always, which would be the goal of a front squat for hypertrophy, like would be the goal of your squat pattern for hypertrophy. It's almost always like, man, my upper back is just smoked. My core is starting to give out. And like people, you'll always hear people say like, oh, front squats are a great movement because it causes, like, if you can't do it, <laughs> like your core, especially if you have a weak core, because you just dump the weight forward. But again, like that's for most people that <laughs> core weakness is the thing that's causing them to fail, not actually bringing their quads close enough to failure to stimulate growth. So something you need to look into a little bit deeper. Next, use an exercise where stability isn't a limiting factor. So for example, if you wanna do a unilateral hamstring exercise, a B stance Romanian deadlift, AKA a kickstand Romanian deadlift, so basically where we're hinging off of one foot, but we have the other foot kind of staggered behind. So basically toes of the rear foot are probably about in alignment with the heel of the front foot. And we're using that foot for balance, but really hinging off of the front foot. That would probably make more sense than like a single leg Romanian deadlift, which is a movement that is, I'm not sure if there's quite as much hype around the single leg Romanian deadlift actually, but for a long time, um, single leg RDLs were all the rage, which really in my opinion for most people, balance is a major issue in the movement. 
I really like it's very hard to actually effectively load and simulate new hamstring growth for doing a single leg RDL. But also, if you're like just trying to help your glands with balance, there's probably better ways to train balance too. It's kind of just like a shitty version of both, I would say. And again, like I think there's probably applications for training athletes, for example. I can't think of the specific circumstances, but I'm sure there's applications out there. But again, specific to hypertrophy, like a single leg RDL doesn't make sense for most people. Um, now, and that said, like I do, I do very much like if we're like looking for a movement to train. So for example, for like an individual training at home, they've already done a heavy RDL, like a barbell Romanian deadlift one day of the week. And we're looking for another hinge pattern to still, of course, train hamstrings, glutes, train hip extension without creating as much stress on the lower back as like a traditional barbell romanian deadlift would i do like like a hand supported single leg romanian deadlift but there again like one hand on the rack um as you're hinging on the opposite leg so there we're kind of taking stability out of the equation we're able to really get a massive stretch on the hamstrings and load the hamstrings but um stability isn't an issue now, and again, the thing to understand here is this doesn't mean that the exercises that don't have a target muscle or rate limiter are bad, but just for hypertrophy, they might not be optimal. So next, implications for nutrition. So type 1 fibers have a higher capacity for oxidating fats and a lower capacity for using glycogen as fuel and store triglycerides as fuel. Type 2 fibers have a low capacity for oxidating fats, a high capacity for using glycogen as fuel, and store creatine phosphate and glycogen as fuel. This means if you're training for endurance and using more type 1 muscle fibers, you probably want to have some triglycerides available. Now the thing here is you always have triglycerides available. Um, even lean people can run for days on stored body fat. If you're training in shorter duration and using more type 2 muscle fibers, you want to maximize the glycogen and creatine phosphate available as fuel. Now, since most of you listening to this are training for performance and hypertrophy, I would actually say probably first, hypertrophy, second, strength and performance, this means you will primarily rely on carbs for fuel while training. So regardless of your rep range or goal in weight training, you'll be using your type two muscle fibers that need glycogen. So if you've ever been in a fat loss phase and ended up with relatively low carb intake, you know the feeling of trying to lift weights without enough glycogen storage, which is why as a general guideline that we suggest, most clients are probably gonna be somewhere between one and 1.5 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Um, fat is probably gonna be somewhere between 0.3 and 0.4 grams per pound of body weight. And from there, we're gonna fill the remainder of macros with carbs. Now again, this is tailored to the individual when you start online coaching with us, some people do feel it's not just and it very much depends on where you're coming from like for more lifestyle focus a lot of individuals do prefer higher fat intake there is a rare individual that does just seem to feel a bit better like on a fat loss phase with a higher fat lower carb diet but in general for clients chasing a specific aesthetic result um it makes sense for us to again protein about 1 to 1.5 grams per pound of body weight fat around 0.3 to 0.4 grams per pound of body weight, and then fill in the remainder of the calories with carbs, because this ensures that as much as possible of your fuel is coming from carbs, while still getting the health benefits you need from fat, 
and getting enough protein to build and preserve lean muscle mass. So that explains the stored glycogen, but what about adenosine triphosphate, better known as ATP? So the first 10 seconds of a movement are typically gonna be fueled by the phosphagen system. This system replenishes stores of ATP, which provides energy to working cells. ATP is broken down by removing phosphate, which means it is left with two phosphates and now is called adenosine diphosphate, AKA ADP. To make more ATP, the ADP needs to find another phosphate, which is where creatine phosphate comes in. Creatine phosphate will give one of its phosphates to ADP to create ATP to use for more fuel. So in short, more creatine equals more potential ATP. Having more ATP to fuel anaerobic activities means you may be able to lift a bit more, uh, maybe squeeze out an extra, two, extra rep or two here and there, which over time adds up to more hypertrophy progression. Now, creatine is found naturally in red meat, but it's also a good idea to supplement in, um, in the form of creatine monohydrate. Typically, we'd recommend about five grams per day. Now, as an aside, beyond creatine's effects on strength and power by generating more ATP, it can also improve muscle protein synthesis, improve glycogen storage in the muscle, and can even have neuroprotective benefits. Because type one muscle fiber types don't use creatine phosphate as a fuel source, Taking exogenous creatine won't improve your endurance. However, because of his other benefits, we do recommend everyone take it unless your doctor has told you otherwise. So finally, even though you can't shift your muscle fiber types by the way you train, knowing the different types and the order in which they're recruited is useful information in the pursuit of more muscle growth and knowing how to properly fuel your activity, the adaptation you're training for. You may not need to know the capillary density of the muscle fiber types in order to actually build muscle, but knowing why your muscles work the way that they do means you're not just blindly following a program within certain rep ranges or RIR because you saw it somewhere, but you actually know why you're doing what you're doing. So finally, if you need more help building the best program, the nutri best nutrition protocol to finally achieve your best physique in 2021, Click the link in the show notes to apply for coaching with our team. That is all I have for y'all for today. As always, thank you for tuning in.